0: Well, if you have a Bible, take it and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37 in your Bible. This is the final week of our series called Making Possible the Impossible. And in week one, we dealt with the issue of harboring bitterness and holding grudges and seeking out revenge. And we learned that that grudges cause more damage to us ...than those who caused us pain in the first place. Last week we talked a little bit more about forgiveness. That when you realize how much you've been forgiven... ...you forgive. And today we're going to talk about what happens after we've been hurt... ...and chosen to forgive. How many of you enjoy waiting on things... You enjoy just that process of waiting for something to happen in your life. Or maybe you would be willing to admit this morning that you enjoy the process of instant gratification. I think all of the Amazon Prime users today would be willing to self-identify with the second group of instant gratification. Uh, But when it comes to justification and vindication, do you like to see people get... What you think they truly deserve. Maybe you're doing a great job at waiting for God. But I think most of us would agree that when it comes to the struggle of relationships. It's it's real for us. We don't like to wait for much of anything. And we definitely don't like to wait on God's timing when it comes to the relational issues in our lives. I'm pretty terrible at waiting for things. I... It was, I hated waiting for my 16th birthday so I could legally drive. I was already driving, but I wasn't legally driving. It's farm kid stuff. So, But I could not wait. I, I, I just could not wait. I, it was the process of waiting that was such a struggle for me. And maybe you have some things coming to your mind right now that you do not prefer waiting on. But if you think about it, in most situations in life, once a decision is made about something usually the effects are not immediate. There's usually a process involved, and waiting is sometimes a tough process. And while it's tempting and sometimes it seems satisfying to hold on to things like unforgiveness, and it seems satisfying to hold grudges and to seek revenge, anyone who has read and believes in God's Word that it is true would agree that unforgiveness is ultimately... What holds on to us when we don't forgive? And God forgave us, so we should forgive others. But maybe you're in a place today where you've chosen to forgive, but you've discovered that it it isn't as simple as you hoped it would be. That these feelings that you've experienced, and those who are watching online, maybe, you, maybe you'll relate with me on this topic this morning and those in the room, but those feelings of, of pain that were caused by someone else, the, 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 the issue of betrayal and the trauma that it has caused in your life, they just don't, they just don't go away. See, you thought maybe that once you made that choice to forgive, When you made that decision to move past that hurt, that that you'd see that person again and and all of those bad feelings would be gone. But lo and behold, you see that person and what they did to you, the hurt that they caused you, all of those emotions and all of those feelings, they, they start to bubble up again and they resurface in your heart and in your mind. It might as well have happened all over again for you. So the question is, what do we do when we think that we have forgiven someone only to feel like nothing has changed? I mean, was that act of forgiveness, was it just a waste? Was it a waste of our time? Maybe I didn't really actually forgive that person for what they did. And what do you do when you make the decision to forgive but find that there's more of a process involved Than you had originally thought. You see when it comes to forgiveness. It's important to remember that. That that results are not immediate. In fact. They almost always. Require time. You may find that when you thought you had forgiven someone. What you had really done was just learn. To manage all of the different emotions that come along with it. You may even be surprised that. To find that some of those feelings that that are present, that you actually thought would be gone forever, but they just seem to hang around. So what do we do? How do we move past the lingering pain in our hearts? Well, we have to keep going, and we need to heal. Healing is most often a long process that demands some intentionality in our lives for these things to be accomplished. I love the times that the Bible gives us a lot of details about some of the people in it. And that is the case with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And his story, as many of you know, it begins with a lot of drama. Now, I don't normally do this, but we're going to... We're going to spend quite a bit of time this morning reading a large portion of this text. We're actually going to read a massive section of chapter 37. So if you're there in Genesis 37, begin reading with me in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. I could insert some cheesy joke about how I live in Canaan township right here, but I won't. God's country and stuff. But these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Now just, I want to note for a moment that this is really bad parenting on display here in the pages Of Scripture Joseph had a favorite kid. How many of you parents have a favorite kid? Don't raise your hand. Oh (laughs) We got some hands raised up here in the front Uh, A favorite Is never a good idea unless there's only one kid then that's okay but here Jacob was making it abundantly clear Who his favorite child was now as you can imagine this was a big problem for the brothers and the family and Joseph's dad, he gives him a, a favorite coat, and, and he just pampers him, and his brothers don't like it. And verse 2 tells us that, that Joseph was, he made things worse because he was a tattletale. He gave a bad report on his brothers. We don't know how many times this happened, but he gave a bad report. And it certainly didn't help that Joseph seemed to kind of, kind of savor his favorite son's status, and seemed to rub it in. So let's continue here in verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words i mean this kid he was a real twit like right i mean like this kid these kids you'd like you want to smack right i mean he had dreams and where he was in charge of the whole family and people were bowing down to them and he actually went as far as to open his mouth and tell his brothers about these dreams and, and dreams were important during this time in history, but something else was even more important, and that was birth order. The youngest child would never be bowed down to. I'll say it that way. Uh, those, those were some pretty outrageous things to say to your older brothers. Even if it was a dream, those are the kind of things you just, you just sit on. You don't talk about those things. You don't let those things actually come out of your mouth. And in this instance, it would have definitely been better for Joseph. He would have kept his mouth shut if you know the rest of the story, which we're going to read. So verse 9, it gets worse. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. Verse 17, And the man said, They have gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. So some of Joseph's brothers were so mad that they wanted to kill him. Verse 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sent the robe of many collars and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob, Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So, So, Joseph ends up in Egypt, purchased by a powerful official in Pharaoh's army. From there, things actually do get more complicated if you read the rest of the story. It's found in chapters 37 all the way up and through 50. And it's a really intriguing story. And I would encourage all of you to, to read it, maybe today after your Sunday nap. But Joseph is he's working as a servant for Potiphar. And as you know, Potiphar's wife has her eye on him and she tries to seduce him. And Joseph is honorable and he has integrity. So he turns her down, and she's mad because she's been rejected, so she accuses him of trying to attack her. Her husband, Potiphar, rightly so, is frustrated and angry and furious that he would do such a thing, and he throws Joseph in jail. He eventually gets out of jail for interpreting Pharaoh's dream. Finally, he interprets a dream that works out in his favor, and he ends up in a direct command position in Egypt. He literally becomes the second person in charge. Later, Egypt will find itself in the middle of a severe famine. And Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt and they come to the palace and they they come looking to buy grain from the storehouse. But what the brothers don't know is that they're going to find their brother Joseph there. Remember the last time that they saw him, he was being carried away by the Ishmaelites as a slave. So they arrive and they don't recognize him because he doesn't look like they do anymore. He's now dressed as a high-ranking official in the Egyptian army. But Joseph recognizes them. I mean we got to remember here that Joseph was a human. This isn't just some random made-up story by an author in the Bible that this, this guy had emotions and feelings like all of us have. You would never forget the faces of the people who sold you into slavery, would you? You would never forget their faces. So after a series of events in chapters 43 and 44 comes the moment of truth. So skip ahead to chapter 45 in all of my flesh when we think about the perfect opportunity to seek out some revenge that if you've been holding grudges and you've been harboring bitterness and you've been waiting for that moment in the storyline this is the moment i'm sure it went through joseph's mind i don't know maybe we can ask him in heaven someday but it had to go through his mind that there were so many different scenarios that he could play out in this moment. That he could, he could do a couple of different things. He could have taken the opportunity to, to pay someone evil for evil. As we learned last or two weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. He could have paid this group of gentlemen back for all the things that they had done. He was pretty powerful. His brothers had betrayed him. He could have done anything to them. And if you read there at the beginning of, of chapter 45, he, he processes some emotions here. It says that he, he mourns, he, he weeps so loud that people throughout the palace could actually hear him. But he does something significant that I have always missed in verses 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please. That's an important statement. And they came near, probably peeing their pants, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That's a significant statement. This is a moment where someone truly understands through the process of waiting what God is doing in his life. This is also someone who has chosen forgiveness. A person who could see how God could take something so bad and work it together for good as we have read in Romans chapter 8 hundreds of times in our lives. This is a person who had completed the hard work of getting past what had been done to him and who was determined to allow God to use his pain and his story to heal and to do God's purposes. Joseph had obviously forgiven his brothers. How do we know? I mean, perspective. Perspective is enough. That's how we know. And if you know what happens in this moment, you can really feel the weight of this moment. You know that some deep forgiveness had to have taken place. I mean, think about it. If you see someone who has betrayed you and hurt you in the deepest way, how would you respond? Perspective is an important thing to think about. Because many of us, we don't know how to get past the pain and the hurt and the betrayal. And Joseph, because he had a, a perspective that was centered and focused on, on God, on, on who God was and who God is and who God was going to be in his life, he, he could look at the ones who had caused him the deepest grief and the most pain. And he could say beyond his own hurting and he could see how God wanted to use him. Look again at what Joseph told his brothers after reminding them of the wrong they had committed. He said do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen only a God focused truly healed person could say something like that to the ones who had hurt him. So, so deeply. And then Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you. God had used Joseph to help preserve the people during a famine by heading up a huge mission, and you can find that in the the chapters leading up to this, to store enough grain for what was coming, to provide food for those who were going to need it. And Joseph, though, he, he finds himself here in this moment, giving God all the credit for what has happened in his life. Even though his brothers had sinned against him and caused him pain, that pain and that sin was not the center of the story. You see, Joseph took his hurt to God, and seeing his pain in the right light, God allowed him to heal and move forward with what God had planned for his life. Here's something that I've learned about pain. Is it can consume you. When something hurts you so bad, when you're carrying around the the heaviest weight imaginable, what I've learned is it has the power to consume you. It can become your entire universe. Everything seems to be centered and focused on your pain. But here's what I've also learned about forgiveness. Is you won't ever fully move to a place of healing. You won't get past the hurt. You can't move past the pain. You won't actually get better. Until you decide to heal. Until you decide that restoration is more important than getting revenge, until you find that that seeking out and holding grudges is never going to be enough. That's how you make that movement. That's how you make progress toward healing. You see, Joseph could have wasted away his years holding grudges. He could have wasted All of his years seeking out how he could could pay these brothers back for what they had done to him. He could have have tried to to figure out how he he could take care of them. He could have wasted years by reliving all of the hurt and all of the pain that their sin and their betrayal and their hatred and their jealousy had caused him. He could have tried to make the decision to forgive but then never made any progress because he had not chosen to see past it. But it's obvious that Joseph made some significant decisions in his life. He had to see the bigger picture. He wasn't going to let his pain determine the rest of his life. Joseph knew that in order to fully forgive you need to do more than just manage it. You have to heal. You you have to see God's involvement in these, in these hurting seasons of your life. What is it that, that God's trying to teach me? What is it that I need to learn right now in this season? What is, what, what, how can God work this bad for good in my life? How is that going to happen? And you know you're on the path to healing and consistent forgiveness and not just managing it. When your pain and the hurt doesn't define your life anymore. But God's word and his truth and his promises and his plan define you. It happens when you realize that you're not a product of all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the betrayal in your life. But you're a product of God. And you need to see that. And that's when true forgiveness happens. That's when healing happens. How many of you have ever looked through like a tube? Maybe you've just kind of looked through the end of your hand like this. The world on the other end of that tube looks smaller, right? I mean, if you, if you look through your hands like that, it just, the, the world around you doesn't look as big as it did before. The, it just looks smaller. You lose all sense of, of perspective. everything that's going on around you, you just see something small at the end of that tunnel. We only see the hurt. We only see the pain. But we don't see how far-reaching and wide the arms of God are in our world and in our own life. We can't seem to find God in our tiny, compromised view. So our hurt and our pain... Becomes all that we see. It becomes our focus. It becomes the thing that we, we have centered our minds and our hearts on. And it becomes our focus. But here's what I've learned. Is healing will not come when we hold on to hurt. It won't happen. The healing and true forgiveness is choosing to trust the providential purposes of God in our lives. It's choosing to give our hurt and our pain the right kind of perspective, not the entire perspective. It's not denying that you have hurt. It's not denying that someone hasn't caused you the deepest pain and the deepest they haven't hurt you and the caused the you know betrayed you and and given you a reason to feel this pain. It's not that everyone needs to get away with all of the stuff that's happened in your life, but it is saying what was done to you or what was was said about you does not have the power to control you. That God and His purposes, that God and His plan, that God and His power to work all things together for good to those who love Him is more powerful than these sinful actions that have been brought against you. We know that God only ever allows what He can use for our good and for His glory. That nothing will ever be allowed to happen to you or happen to us except the things that He allows. Which is good news and bad news for our our human minds, right? But nothing happens to us that God doesn't allow to happen. And we can still trust his goodness. And we can trust his character. Many of you have heard the phrase uh, that suffering is never for nothing. There's always a bigger purpose to find. But it takes time. It might require some waiting. It might require us to stop and to slow down and to, to look and see how God is going to use this circumstance in my life. Now, you may not want to achieve the type of restoration that Joseph ends up having with his brothers. You may genuinely forgive And you may still choose never to deal with those who hurt you again. And and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to, to, to be best friends. That you have to sing kumbaya around the campfire with people who have hurt you. I'm not saying that at all this morning. But we can genuinely forgive those people who have hurt us. Your future relationship with them isn't the determiner of whether you truly forgive or not but you can choose to heal move past the pain and not let it consume you so how do you not just manage things how do you heal well you keep forgiving you keep going you see forgiveness is an event it's something that we do i i seek forgiveness often but healing is more of a process Healing is something that takes time, which is why you commit to forgive every day. And you don't experience those surprising feelings of resurfacing anger and hurt. And you decide, well, I tried to forgive once and it didn't work, so I'm never going to do that again. No, you do it again. And you do it again, as we talked about last week. Seventy times seven. Infinity. We just, we keep forgiving because God has forgiven us so much. But time is our best friend when it comes to healing. It doesn't happen instantly. You have to say it out loud. You have to pray about it more than you've, you've prayed about anything. You name what was done to you. You, 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 you name what was taken. You, you, you talk about how you were wronged and what was said about you. You take those things to God because he can work those things out. He can work those things for good. Be specific and then ask him to heal you and to make you into something that you could never make yourself into To fix what was broken. And to help you move ahead. To help you move forward. And then as we talked about in week one. Part of the process of healing is trust. You have to trust God with your circumstances. You have to trust Him with your hurt. And with your pain. And somehow see. Or somehow look for. The bigger picture. What is God doing? What is His providential hand doing in this circumstance and in this situation so that you can see past the hurt, past the pain, past the betrayal, past the jealousy, and to see what God is up to in your life? That is how you allow God to determine your perspective and not your pain. I'm not naive. That's easy to say in a sermon. It's much harder to do. Healing is not easy. Forgiving has its own unique challenges. But sometimes healing, it requires something of us. And it requires that we go back to Romans chapter 12 and we remember that. Revenge is not ours to seek, that that's God's job, and we need Him to heal us of our hurt and our pain. And that's how you move forward. But there will be times when you're going to be hurt. You will be, you will be offered a chance to forgive or not, to heal or to hold on to hurt. And for the sake of your future, for the sake of your happiness, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your family and your, the relationships with those in your, in your, in your, where you work, you have to choose to forgive. You have to move forward. You must see your pain as part of a bigger picture. You need God to have more control and more credit than you give your hurt. And to do that, you have to forgive consistently. Because healing will not come when we hold on to hurt. As the worship team makes their way to the platform, I have a couple questions that I want you to reflect on this morning. And maybe you need to write these down, maybe you just need to think about them as I say them. This Making Possible the Impossible series is, is, a, is a personal thing for me. Because I, str- I struggle with, with, this, with this process of forgiving. I think we're all wired in some way to seek revenge. I think we're all wired in some ways to relish the moments where people get what they deserve. But as people who have been made new, we should think differently. And I'm not minimizing anyone's hurt or any pain that you've experienced today. Some of you have experienced the deepest pain and the deepest hurt. And some of those things I'll never be able to understand. But what are you holding on to today? As we've walked through this series, this evil for evil, this seeking revenge, this this harboring bitterness and resentment, What are you holding on to? And are you willing to let go of it? Who do you need to forgive today? And what are you holding on to? And are you willing to allow God to bring healing to your heart and your life? If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. I want to give you a moment to think through those questions. And to consider how you're doing. Are you holding on to something from the past? And have you chosen to heal? Have you chosen to forgive? Maybe you need to forgive someone, maybe you need to ask someone to forgive you for something. And then move toward God and ask him to heal you. Because one thing is sure. We have an enemy who is prowling around and we have an enemy who is a deceiver. And he will keep dangling all of that hurt and all of that betrayal and all of that pain in front of you. And you'll never be able to move forward. See, if Joseph would have continued to, if Joseph would have sought revenge, the story would look so much different in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. But he allowed God and his purposes to play out in his heart and in his life. So maybe your act of forgiving And healing can be the thing that brings restoration to so many people around you. Maybe it can be the the window into the gospel for people who are around you. That you have been forgiven and truly healed from the curse of sin in your life and in your heart. By the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our act of forgiveness and healing is a picture of that. Heavenly Father, we are thankful and grateful today for Jesus. Who your word calls us to imitate and to pursue and to reflect. And God, I'm so thankful that your son Jesus does not harbor bitterness and resentment toward us toward people who have rebelled against you and sinned against you and turned our back to you. But you offer us forgiveness and healing. And I'm thankful for that. And God, I'm thankful that you are bigger than our hurt and our pain and the circumstances that cause them. And that you are good and that you will work all things together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. Thankful for Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen.